0: Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series Reflection, A Study of Philippians. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at SheridanHouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Anyway, um, it has been just a glorious day, and um, this passage is... I can't even find the words, and um, so, again, we're just asking the Lord to teach us what this uh, is all about, and we're talking today about reflecting Jesus' humility, Jesus' humility. Uh, Last week we were challenged on how we should conduct ourselves to one another in unity, shoulder to shoulder. Remember we talked about that, almost an athletic look, how we are to face life and our challenges and each other and all that with a unified front as we try and bring others to know him personally. And now Paul tells us to fix our gaze on our incredible role model, Jesus. One of the great commentators on Philippians made a profound statement. He said, instead of following the latest Christian personality, our gaze should be fixed on Jesus. Our gaze should be fixed on Jesus. Jesus is our great first point, our great example and role model. Look with me at verse 5 in chapter 2 of Philippians. And this is in the uh, New International Version. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. And then the NLT, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So A, on your outline, you know, we do have, like that commentator said, we do have human role models. And in the Christian community today, we have the tendency to fixate our minds on hero worship. Don't we do that sometimes? You know, sometimes we have our um, favorite, you know, we're tempted to have our favorite radio personalities, Christian musicians, and we almost have this fascination with those. Now, God does give us people to teach and model and mentor us and, and, and have them come alongside us in our journey here on earth. That is, that's part of God's provision. We'll be talking more about that in the weeks to, ahead. But we need to be very careful not to do hero worship. Because here's the thing. We will be, often be disappointed because they are human just like you and me. And haven't we experienced that in our community, um, here and all over the place, that that we see the humanity? So instead, our gaze should be on Jesus, the one who will never disappoint. Never disappoint. Absolutely. And from here, Paul points us to him in one of the most beautiful and informative passages in all of Scripture as to the nature of our Savior. Be on your outline. We have the ultimate role model in Jesus, ultimate role model in Jesus. So first, number one, we are to have Jesus's mindset. Back to the verse we just read, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Paul is admonishing the Philippians to be unified, humble, and unselfish with one another, just like Jesus exhibited in this passage that we're going to read in just a minute but not only are we to have Jesus's mindset number two we are to apply his mindset apply Jesus mindset our actions to one another should reflect um, and be as selfless like Jesus was not just to say wow Jesus your actions were amazing but Take it one step further. Help me to apply to my relationships your mindset and thus actions. Let me, let me apply them. Let me get your mindset and then let them be acted out in the lives of the people around us. Then Paul goes on to describe the Lord and the magnitude of what he did for us. His mindset brought These actions is what Paul is saying. Jesus exhibited the ultimate humility. A on your outline. First, his humility in heaven. Paul reminds them and us, number one, he was deity. He was deity. Look at verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. John Calvin said this: "The form of God means here His Majesty. The form of God was the Majesty of God. For as man is known by the appearance of his form, so the Majesty which shines forth in God is His figure. So the form that He is, that uh, Jesus reflected, is a the glory of God. We will never know the significance of all of that." until we see him in heaven, until we walk across the threshold. And wow, there we are. And we're going to see for the first time the magnitude of who Jesus is. And we're smiling already thinking, wow, could it be today, Lord? <laughs> anyway, um, the, uh, we, we will never know it until we get to heaven. However, the inner circle, his disciples, his, his most favorite, his the closest part of the disciples saw a tiny glimpse, a molecule of this side of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that story? It's told, and I think in all of the um, Gospels except for maybe John, but um, in Mark 9, 2 through 8, just describes it in such an amazing way. You don't need to look it up, but you might want to jot it down for future reference. And after six days... "'Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John "'and led them to a high mountain by themselves. "'And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, "'as no one on earth could bleach them. "'And there appeared to him Elijah with Moses, "'and they were talking to Jesus. "'And Peter said to Jesus, "'Rabbi, is it good that we are here? "'Let us make three tents, "'one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses.'" Don't you love Peter? I mean, he is so overwhelmed that he, he's like, um, uh, um, let's make some tents. We'll hang out here. We'll have a camping trip together. I mean, he's just like, wow. You know, he just always seems like he always says the first things that comes to his mind. Anyway, for he did not know what to say for they were terrified. You can, can you imagine suddenly seeing the glory of Jesus' first time? They've ever seen anything remotely like this aspect of Jesus. Who have we been following around all this time? Who were we in the fishing boats with and all the things that must have gone through their mind? And then to suddenly see the character of Moses and Elijah um, and how did they know who they were? Name tags, no doubt. (laughs) Anyway. Um, And then a cloud, overshadowed them and a voice came out of the clouds saying this is my beloved son listen to him and suddenly looking around they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only wow this was a hint a tiny glimpse into the magnitude of who Jesus is Wow. We see the love, the mercy, the teaching of him through God's word, but to ponder his glory <laughs> is something that we need to desire and, and aspire toward, to ask for it. Lord, okay, thank you for giving me your word. Let me just, every day, maybe find a part of, uh, of a passage where we can see a glimpse of you and help me to understand a little bit better what that looks like. I know I'll never understand you until I get to heaven, but if I could just see glimmers like on that Mount of Transfiguration. And may I be so wowed by it that like Peter, something silly comes out of my mouth. I don't know. But uh, anyway, but just a glimmer, asking for it. It says being in the form of God. And it also re- relates to him as um, another great passage, Hebrews 1.3, and again, you don't need to look it up, but it says he is the radiance of the glory of God. Let me say that again. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he, again talking about Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power, wow, be on your outline, he is the radiance of God, now what does that mean, what does that look like, again, until eternity we'll never really get the full implication of what that is. But we have been talking this year, the name of our study and everything is reflection. And we're attempting to reflect some of these glorious qualities that we are studying about Jesus and, and, and as, as Paul has been teaching us. But Jesus is not a reflector of God. Jesus is the radiation of God. He radiates God, the radiance of the glory of God of God, that verse says. It's sort of like the difference between, I think, the, and this is just again a human <laughs> illustration, but kind of like the moon and the sun. You know, the moon shines because it's a reflection of the sun. But if you've seen some of those um, scientific shots of the, the sun, and you see the sh- sun uh, is so bright that you can hardly look at it, and then you see shooting radiation off of it, that's more the idea here. Jesus is not the moon and God the sun. Jesus is the sun. S-U-N and S-O-N, I might add. He is the sun. He is a radiation. He is the glow of who God is. He is the one who radiates the glory of God. He shines forth the glory as part of the Trinity um, and has within him the unchanging nature and character of God. Not only the creator. It, First John one one and on talks about him being the creator, but that verse that we just read in Hebrews, he's the sustainer. You know, when the sun comes up in the morning, we kind of take it for granted. Oh, okay, sun's up, it's you know whatever. And um, but that is because Jesus had it come up. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus turns the fall leaves into beautiful color. Jesus is the one that births babies. Jesus is the one that keeps the galaxies in place. He is not only the creator, he is the sustainer of creation. That is what that that verse is saying. But look at the rest of the verse, six, chapter 5, verse 6. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He is all that we've just described and so much more that we cannot in human tongues ever put together. But it says he did not count equality as something to be grasped. So, number two, he relinquished his deity. This means that Jesus was in very nature God but didn't consider equality with God to be a privilege. He wasn't saying, hey, you know, I'm part of the Godhead, I'm part of the Trinity, and, and so I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to just kind of glory, and I'm going to let those hundred million angels sing to me day after day. He, he did not consider it a privilege, but as a, um, of ma- as a matter of something he could do, as something that he could give up. Now, number B His choice because of devotion, look at verse 7, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Number one, it first says he emptied himself. Now that doesn't mean he emptied his deity, that he no longer had deity. He couldn't stop being who he was, but he emptied the privilege and the status of his eternal position that would and cannot ever change. He can never not be a part of the trinity. He can never, ever not be the son of God. He can never, ever be, not be the radiance of who Jesus is. But what he could do is he could take on the form of a servant, small a on your outline, by taking on the form of a servant. The word for servant here in the original language actually means slave. A slave had no personal rights. Jesus did not exploit his privileges as deity. Jesus did exchange the form of God for the form of a slave. Instead, he did, again, he didn't stop being God, but he chose to take on human form. Now, this is a very, very shallow comparison, but um, I think it might help us understand it just a little bit. When I became Bob's wife, I became Rosemary Barnes. Now, that didn't mean that I ceased to be Rosemary Johnson. Every bit of who I was, my attitudes, my taste, my temperament, my love for chocolate, and um, M&Ms, and all those things, those don't go away when, when, when I became Mary. What it did is I embraced a new set of responsibilities and roles, I, I didn't change my nature. I, cha- I I chose to add things to my new identity. I gave up the right of making my own decisions for me only. This is what we're going to do, because this is what I feel like doing. I gave that up, because I had a new position. I didn't give up who I was, but I gave up some of the things, some of the attitudes, some of the responsibilities. Uh, still being me, I embraced the right... Of um, considering the other in my life, for example, even my the right to my body. First uh, Corinthians seven three, my husband shall fulfill his marital duty to his wife. I love that they start with the husband first. Isn't that good? <laughs> and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have. Um, does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. That's the idea here, that I didn't lose my identity, but my roles, my responsibility, the things that my life was involved in, changed complexion entirely. This is, again, just a tiny glimpse of that. That's what Jesus did. B, by being born, the verse goes on to say. He was born in the likeness of of mankind. In other words, too, he identified himself with the human race. He, part, he fully participated in our human experience. Jesus was truly man, but not just man. That Jesus so loved us that in all his splendor, in all his glory as God, in the angel singing to him, in um, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, all of what that means that we will someday find out. He put it all aside, and he exemplified humility by identifying with the human race. We were talking as as leaders this morning in our meeting, and we talked about, you know, and and of all times in history, goodness sake, he arrived in arid Israel. (laughs) No air conditioning, no fans, no indoor plumbing, no showers, um, just, you know, cold winters, just on and on. A time in history when technology, are we kidding? No way of communicating. You know, just I, I, I marvel, don't you marvel that he picked that time in history to arrive on the scene to become a human being, to live in a physical body with all its ailments, with all its aches and pains, and all the weirdness um, that we have in our, our bodies, Just ask me, I just had a birthday. Anyway, <laughs> um, but he, he loved us so much that in all of his splendor, as the radiance of God, he gave it up, humbled himself to put on flesh with all its issues and come to earth for us. I think all we can say to that is, wow, 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 and thank you, wow. See, his ultimate humiliation in death, and it doesn't stop there, verse eight, and being in the form, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Number one, he humbled himself. He stooped to become not only a man but a slave, meaning servant, his self humiliation meant full obedience. He went from the highest possible position imaginable to the lowest. Highest to the lowest. All his own doing. Not only did he humble himself from the highest imaginable position to the lowest, but to death. To death. Number two. He humbled himself to death. Even lower, he submitted himself to death on a cross. Soren uh, Kilkegaard said this, Christ humbled himself, not he was humbled. O infinite sublimity, of which it most categorically to be true, that there was none in heaven or on earth or in the abyss that could humble him. He humbled himself. He chose it. He did it. He brought it on to himself. He humbled himself. A, it was a scandalous death, scandalous death. In the world of Philippi that he was writing this letter to, this was the lowest that one could possibly stoop socially. Crucifixion was so cruel that it was commonly reserved for the lowest classes, especially slaves, and considered the mention of the cross to be an obscenity. An obscenity. It wasn't something that could even be talked about in public, in uh, polite society. It was so horrible. This may account for the relatively late appearance of the cross as a Christian symbol. You know, many of us um, have crosses that we wear maybe all the time or much of the time, and it's very special. We have crosses, multiple wooden crosses throughout our home and um, because of the significance to us but it took a long time for those early Christians to embrace the figure of a cross because it was so obscene to them and to think about the Savior, the Lord of the universe, the radiance of the glory of God to have died in this horrific obscene way was too much for them and it took a while for the cross to become the symbol of Christianity. Wow Um, That is why most likely the cross was such a late symbol in coming. John Calvin writes this, For by dying in this way, he was not only covered with ignominy in the sight of man, but also accursed. It is assuredly such an example of humility as ought to absorb the attention of all men. It is impossible to explain it in words suitable to its greatness. Wow. Wow. B, his death is the ultimate example in describing this unbelievable condescension of our Lord in this passage in giving the Philippians and us an example of what our humble servanthood should be to one another. 1 Peter 2, 21. You don't need to look it up, but jot it down. To this you were called. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. How can we ever pridefully be promoting ourselves or demanding our rights when Jesus was that example? When we deeply consider what Jesus equal in, in the very essence God, what he gave up for God to serve us, to give us eternal life, then as an example to us, how can we ever consider an unforgiving attitude, a self-righteousness, an all-about-me attitude? How can we ever consider that? Just as, as he humbled himself and emptied himself, so we are to empty ourselves. We're to empty ourselves so he can fill us to be able to do what he desires us to be and to be used in whatever way he desires. Is that the least we could do in our utter gratefulness for what the Darling of Heaven, one of the um, songs that we love to sing, did for us after what he did for us? Wow. Isn't that the least that we could do? Absolutely. Jesus was given ultimate exaltation. Verse 9 through 11. He follows by saying, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Notice that these powerful verses begins with the word therefore. You know what I'm going to say next, right? What is it there for? It's so corny, isn't it? Anyway, but in the original language, the word for is therefore also. Therefore also. Pay attention, he seems to say. Strong, will follow about what God's going to do. Therefore, it says. Verse 9 describes God's response to Jesus' obedience. A, God responded to Jesus in two ways. The new uh, NIV version says, number one, first, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Actually, highest place means to a place uh, of recognizable supremacy over all creation. When Jesus humbled himself at the resurrection and ascension, he went to be at the Father's right hand. Father's right hand. And his highest place is made evident to all of us. He, His creation that he rules. We will see this at some point, someday when we get to heaven. God made him supreme over everything. Number two, God gives Jesus a name above all names. Jesus Christ is Lord in verse 11 and it appears for the first time in this passage. Remember in verse 5 where we started, it just it says the name Christ Jesus. And now in verse 11, it's Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. The name above every name and every na- knee will bow to it. Lord means master, controller, supreme in authority. Paul well, just earlier in this passage presented the suffering, redeeming Messiah, and now he is presenting the victorious, conquering Messiah of Revelation, coming back in utter power to judge the world and take his bride, the church, to heaven with him. Wow. Wow. He is not our buddy. He is not someone we turn to only when we need something. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is Lord of all. And one of the most powerful passages that describes that uh, is Revelation 19, 11 through 16, and one of my favorites. You've heard me read it before. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name of which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came sharp sword, which was to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an, a, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. What a powerful picture of who Jesus is. Paul Feinberg said, Jesus does not force God's hand. Instead, God initiated the exaltation of Jesus and freely gave to him the most superior of names. Wow. What is our response? How do we respond to that? Verse 11, Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As Jesus is exalted in his return to heaven, the equality that he has already possessed will be evident to all of creation. Someday, every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is the supreme, the name that is above every name. Someday, here it is, the greatest skeptic will say, wow. Wow. I have to acknowledge the truth. I have to acknowledge the truth. And if he is supreme, shouldn't that affect how we live? If he is supreme and he is the radiance of God's glory, if he is all these things, if he is above all, shouldn't that reflect how we live? Our bodies, the Bible says temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to treat it like it belongs to God after all the wonderful eating we did today. Because it does belong to God, doesn't it? It belongs to God. Our relationships, our families, our marriages, that our Savior is supreme should affect how I live in that vein. My fears, my ministries, my future, all should be affected by his supremacy. All of my attitudes Verse 2 5 again says, Your attitudes should be the same as Christ Jesus. If this is so true about who Jesus is, and if we're going to proclaim his supremacy someday, shouldn't everything, our attitudes on down, reflect what we're saying about who Jesus is? I'm to live my life displaying my attitudes that are to be like Jesus. And again, verse 11, and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want not only my life to display his attitudes, I want my tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord, master, controller, uh, supreme in authority. If you have not done that, won't you do that today? If you have never before claimed master, controller of my life, supreme in authority, won't you join him, with the rest of the writers of Revelation 19, dressed in fine linen, white and clean? You can by acknowledging your need for him, and exchanging the stained, dirty dress that our sins have given us, for that white linen garment that he has when we begin a relationship with him. White because you've received his forgiveness and acknowledge that it, that he is Lord. Do it now. Because if you haven't done it yet, you will someday. You will someday.